was September of last year, and I got to do something that I've never done before, and I, I was really excited about it. I got to go to Colorado, and as a photographer and somewhat of a hiker, uh, I wanted to go out there. I wanted to go out west and take some pictures and hike and do all that stuff, and, and it was really fun. I had a friend. They were working. He was working at a church out there, so we went to visit him and his wife for the weekend and got to experience a lot of really cool things. You know, we go on vacation, and we experience different things than what we have here in Piney, right, or wherever you live. We get to, get to experience different restaurants, different people, different coffee shops, uh, and, and different, different environment, right? Get to meet new people, do some new things, try some things that we don't get to do every single week. And I love that. I love being able to do that. But there's always that moment, and, and you might relate to, the, to me with this, or you might say, Matt, you're crazy, but there's always that moment where I say, man, I can't wait to be home in my bed, right? Anybody, anybody with me on that? You get it. Anybody like, no, I want to be on vacation all the time? There's some of us, yeah, I understand. But there's always that moment where, you know, vacation's awesome. Go and do some really cool things, try some different places, but there's always that moment where I say, man, I can't wait to be in my own bed, especially if you were on a bad bed during the week of your vacation, Right? Get to be at home on my own couch with my own Netflix uh, account, with my own TV shows. I get to sit down, sit at home, and there's just something special about home, right? Vacation's great. I love it. I love going on vacation. love meeting and doing different things and meeting new people. That's great. But there's always the moment. Here's the truth, and Peter's going to tell us this today. Vacation's great. Temporary things are great. This life that we have here is temporary, but we all long for an eternal home. While we're here on this earth, while we're here, it's temporary. It's kind of like we're vacationers or travelers. While we're here in this world, we are on somewhat of a vacation because we belong to an eternal home. And we should long for that eternal home. But he says, hey, if you're going to be there, enjoy it. If you're going to be on earth, you might as well make the most of it. And, and I would say that most of us, when we're going on vacation, we make the most of it, right? We do as much as we can while we're there to experience and do different things. And Peter wants us to know that while we're here on earth, we have to make the most of it. And it's so important that we answer this question today. How do we remain faithful in a sinful world while we're here? We can all admit, we live in a sinful world, Right? We live in a crazy world. But while we're here, we're called to make the most of it. And so how do we remain faithful in a sinful world? I'm going to go ahead and just give you the answer. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21 says this, and we're going to dive through the rest of the, the verses here, but I think we need to start here and then unpack those. Verse 21 says this, To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his footsteps. How do we remain faithful in a sinful world? We know that Christ suffered for us. We understand that he left us an example with his life and the way that we're called to live. And then we go and follow in his footsteps. That's the answer. But it's a little more difficult, isn't it? It's hard. It's hard to follow in his example. Let's dive into 1 Peter chapter 2 together, starting verse 11. It says this, this is where we get the idea of us being vacationers here on this earth. It says, dear friends, I urge you, as foreigners and exiles, 
to abstain from sinful desires. This, this next language is very strong, which wage war against your soul. He says, while you're here on earth, there's going to be things that are thrown at you. There's going to be sinful desires that come at you, and they're trying to wage war. We understand this idea of war, right? We've seen it before. It's, it's happening in our world right now. We know that it can be devastating. We know that there can be a lot of issues, a lot of people losing their lives, a lot of things that, were, that are lost in war. And Peter uses this language of war trying to help us understand how powerful these sinful desires can be when they come to our lives. He says, these sinful desires are trying to wage war on your soul and wage war on your mind. And so you have to do everything in your power to abstain from it, to get rid of it. Now, we can't do that on our own. We have to have Jesus to fight for us and do that for us. But it says, hey, if you want to live faithfully and live godly lives in a sinful world, then you have to abstain for those, from those things while you're here on this earth. Because they're trying to wage war against your soul. It says, live such good lives among the pagans, or you can translate that as the non-believers or the non-churched. Live such good lives among them that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. There's going to be people that, that slander you or say bad things, but you have to remain faithful. You can't change the way that you live among the world. We're not called for that. He says, you have to remain faithful. You have to live faithfully and live godly lives. Because there's usually a day where that person who slanders you for doing good comes around and says, I know the, why you live that way. Thank you for showing me what it looks like to live like Jesus. Even in the midst of persecution. It says this, verse 13. And this is, this is I'll be honest, this is a difficult one for a lot of us. It says this, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as a supreme authority or to the governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. This is hard, isn't it? To submit ourselves to authority, especially if we don't like the authority. That can be hard. But Peter says if you want to live faithfully in a sinful world, you have to submit to those people. I think another way for us to say this is to respect and honor them, right? We ask our kids to respect and honor their parents, don't we? I think that we're called to do the same for the people that are above us. And the way that we, we talk about them and the way that we interact with them and the way that we are, are, are around them, we have to respect them, every single person, and honor them. Now, there's something to say here. You know, we have to submit and be respectful and honor our authorities but God also wants us to know that if those authorities and those people are doing things against his will, that it is okay for us to fight lovingly for God's will. Right? And so many times in our world, when we go to fight for God's will, it's like we have our, our boxing gloves on for Jesus. He doesn't need that. He says, do it lovingly. Respect and honor. Don't slander. Don't do those things. It says that if we are going to live faithfully in a sinful world, then we have to respect and honor those people around us. And respect and honor the authorities that are above us. But if they are doing something wrong, it's okay to make a difference and to try to change things, but do it in a smart way. Do it in a smart way. Because that's what Jesus did in his life, right? Verse 15. 
For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. It says, live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves, or you can translate that word as servants, too. It says, don't use your freedom to cover up evil. In the book of Romans, uh, the people are talking to Paul, and they're saying, hey, if God's grace is so good, then that means that we can sin more so that his grace can abound more, right? And he says, no, that's not what it's about. He says, you don't sin more so that you can get more grace. God gave you the grace so that you don't have to sin, right? And that's what he calls us to. He says, hey, you live as free people. You have grace. Don't go and abuse it. Don't go and abuse that gift that you've been given. He says, by no means should you sin more to get more grace. You've already got it. Don't sin more just to get that. It says, show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God and honor the emperor. That's a great way to live. Slaves, in reverent fear of God. Servants, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable and praiseworthy if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and endure it, that is commendable before God. That is praiseworthy before God. To this you were called. I love this verse. All of this, to this point, to this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his footsteps. He, Jesus, committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sin, sins and live for the righteous. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. The passage that we ended with last week ends very similar to, way, to the way this one does. Once you were not a people, right? Once you were going astray, but because of God and his goodness, he brought you from his darkness and into his, or from your darkness and into his wonderful light. And he says, you are a people of God. You have returned to the shepherd. You were going astray like a sheep, but he came and found you. And so live well. Follow his example. Jesus teaches us how we're supposed to remain faithful in a, in a number of different ways, in a number of different passages in Scripture and in the Sermon on the Mount, and we went through a series on this over the past couple of weeks, but we look at the Sermon on the Mount and see some of the things that Jesus teaches us and how we're supposed to live, right? And that's not the only place that he teaches us, but we, I wanted to pull a couple of examples from uh, the Sermon on the Mount and just kind of show us how we're supposed to live. Jesus teaches us that we are supposed to remain faithful in a sinful world by doing this, and this is contrary to what the world tells us we're supposed to live. He says, and these are just a few examples, not all of them from that, but a few of them. It says this, that we are supposed to be uh, poor in spirit. He says that we're supposed to mourn with the hurting, to be meek. He says we're supposed to thirst for what is good. He says that we're supposed to be merciful and forgive. He says for us to be pure, to be a peacemaker, to love your enemy, 
to pray for those who persecute you, to not be angry with a brother or sister, to not commit adultery, to not take revenge, to go the second mile, to give to the needy, to be in prayer and to not worry. That's what Jesus says. He says, if you want to remain faithful, live by this. If you want to remain faithful, look at the way that I lived. Because when we see the way that Jesus lives, we understand that it's different than the world. That's why everybody noticed him. He was different. Because the world's contrary to that, right? The world says that we're supposed to beat down those that are hurting. That we're supposed to be prideful. That we're supposed to just thirst for the evil, whatever is good for us. That we're not supposed to forgive one another. That we are definitely not supposed to be peacemakers. We see a world that a lot of people try to cause trouble. We see a world that tells us that we're supposed to hate our enemy and even sometimes hate those that love us. We see a world that uh, says it's all right to be angry with a brother or sister and even sometimes murder. We see a world that says it's okay to commit adultery, that it's okay to take revenge, that we definitely don't need to go the second mile. We're not even going the first with somebody. That we don't need to give to the needy and the poor. That's just the world we live in. And the, the reason that's the case is because, you know, of sin. When sin entered the world, that's where the world turned. Jesus tells us that if we want to remain faithful in a sinful world, that we need to look at his life. And the way for us to live like Jesus is to know the way that he lived, right? We have to read his word. We have to know exactly how he interacted with people and was in different situations so that we can follow in his example. And I'll give you a couple examples throughout Jesus' life. You know the woman that committed adultery. I've told this story before. Woman committed adultery, caught in the act of adultery. The Pharisees, teachers of the law, drag her through the streets, place her in front of Jesus for everybody to see what she had done. They were trying to get Jesus to do something he would never do so that they could kill him. They place this woman in front of Jesus, and they say, hey, this woman committed adultery. A private sin is now made public to everybody. This woman committed adultery. The law of Moses says that we're supposed to stone such a woman, and everybody started to pick up their stone. They were ready. But what did Jesus do first, do you know? He got in the dirt with her, didn't he? He got in the mess. And so many times in our world, Somebody makes a mistake. Sometimes people we know, sometimes people we don't. They make a mistake and they, they pick up their stone ready to throw it. But Jesus says, I'm going to get in the mess with you. I'm going to get in the dirt. And I think that's a great example that Jesus teaches us. People are going to make mistakes. People are going to be shamed. People are going to have things in their life. And we as Christians follow in Jesus' example and say, you know what? God will meet you where you are. I'm going to meet you there too. And I'm going to try to bring you out as God does with God's help. And he gets up from being out of the dirt, or being in the dirt, and says, the first of you who has never made or made a mistake or sinned, go ahead and throw the stone, and you hear the stone start to drop all around the place. Can you imagine what the woman was feeling? She probably felt shamed. She probably felt condemned. She probably felt like there was nobody on her side, and here's Jesus who gets in the mess, and then gets up and says, if you've never made a mistake, 
throw the stone, and no one did. What a powerful message from Jesus. That's incredible. We are called to follow in Jesus' example when we interact with people, when people make mistakes. And here's the thing that we do so many times when we fall into this trap. Our first response is, why'd you do that? Why'd you make that mistake? That was dumb. Why'd you? You get it. You know, right? We all do it. When somebody does something or makes a mistake, we say, why in the world would you make that decision? That wasn't Jesus' response. And if we want to live faithfully and live godly lives in a sinful world, that's what we're called to do, is to follow his example and get in the mess. And even though it might be difficult, that's what we're called to. Now, does he leave her in the mess? Does he leave her in the dirt? No. And he doesn't do that for us either. He says, yeah, I'm going to meet you in the dirt, but I love you too much to leave you there. And so he brings her out and says, go and leave your life of sin. I don't condemn you. What a beautiful message. What a beautiful story. What about the Samaritan woman that Jesus meets at the well? They weren't supposed to interact. The Jews and the Samaritans, they didn't interact together. They weren't supposed to. It was like a cultural thing. You don't talk to that person or talk to that group of people. He said, I don't care. He saw an opportunity to love and saw an opportunity to have an interaction with somebody. And so Jesus crosses that that line, that cultural line, that cultural divide, and says, you know what? That person needs love. And he goes and talks with her and goes and loves on her. And we live in a world where we say, I don't talk to that group of people. I'm not going to interact with that person or this person or that person. But Jesus says, yeah, you're called to. Even though it might not look popular, even though it may not be what, you're supposed to, what you think you're supposed to do or the world says, you're called to that. And what about when Jesus was on the cross? Jesus said a couple things on the cross, and we're going to focus on one today. He says this, that, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing, right? As he's hanging on a cross, nails through his wrist and through his ankles, after he had been beaten, blood pouring down his body, he says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. We live in a world that doesn't know what's going on. And sometimes we expect people to understand Jesus without us telling them about him. We hold people in the world to a standard of living like Christ, and they don't even know anything about him. That's our job. That's what we're called to do. We're called to be the one that goes to the church, or goes to the world, and is the church, and is Jesus to them. And that's important for us. He says, if you want to remain faithful in a sinful world, follow my example. And I see examples of Scripture, or examples of Jesus in Scripture, and and I can't help but notice the way that he lived. Because it was different than what we do. It was different than what the world does. Jesus crosses lines. Jesus loves on those who others condemn and shame. And the truth is, Verse 21, to this you were called. To this lifestyle, you, follower of Jesus, child of God. When he was on the cross, he he knew your name. He says that you were called because Jesus suffered for you on that cross, that same cross that he went to for you. He suffered for you, leaving you an example 
throughout his life on the way that you're supposed to live. Now it's your job. You were called to this. Go and follow in his footsteps. Go and love one another. Because there's a dying world out there. There is a sinful world out there. And we can't condemn at first sight on something that somebody does that's wrong that doesn't know Jesus. It doesn't make any sense. How do we hold somebody to a, a standard that they don't know about, right? But we can hold ourselves to a standard. The standard that Jesus calls us to, the life that he lives. We are called to remain faithful, to live faithful in a sinful world. And the best way for us to do it is to look to Jesus, to know his example, and to follow in his footsteps. So go and read his word. Go and read about his life. One of the things that I love to tell people when they first become a Christian is I say, go and read the life of Jesus. Because that's the way that you're called to live. That's the way that you're supposed to love one another. And so I challenge everybody to go do it today. Go read about the life of Jesus and follow in his footsteps. Because if we want to live faithfully and we want to be a successful follower of Jesus in our sinful world, in a world that may not know Jesus, then we have to know his life and be that to other people. Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example. So go and follow in his footsteps. Let's pray.